0: You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here on Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Politico recently reported that the outbreaks of measles all around the country have turned 2019 into one of the most active years for vaccine policy in recent memory. Some states have responded by trying to toughen their policy, cutting back on exemptions. And some legislatures in some states have been trying to loosen those exemptions. California, as one of only three states that allow only medical exemptions, has been ground zero in the battle. Since the passage of SB 277 back in 2015, the vaccination rate in California has increased by 2%, and on a statewide level, now over 95% of our kids are vaccinated. However, the demand for those medical exemptions has tripled, particularly among kindergartners, and some doctors have turned the exemptions into a revenue source all while the efficacy and safety of vaccines is beyond reproach. We're going to look at the California perspective on this national debate today as I'm joined by California's state public health director, Dr. Karen Smith. Karen, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jack. It's great to have you here. How much of a problem do we have in California right now with respect to this outbreak of measles that we've all been reading about?
1: Well, we've been fortunate in California. We have not had any um, cases associated with either of the two outbreaks. So there's an outbreak in Washington State, which is, I think, the one that most Californians are aware of. There's also an ongoing outbreak in a uh, Jewish community in New York City. And we have not, to our knowledge, had any cases of measles in California associated with either of those two cases thus far.
0: And to what extent has there been investigation of these situations in New York and in Washington state in trying to determine whether vaccinations or lack of vaccinations have played any role in in these outbreaks?
1: Oh, there's very clear documentation that lack of vaccinations is the primary cause for the outbreaks. In uh, in each case, um, the initial case of measles has, was determined to be in an unvaccinated traveler coming back to the United States and then spreading it to other unvaccinated persons within the two, each of those two jurisdictions separately, to point out those two outbreaks are not linked to each other. So the vast majority of cases in, in each of those two outbreaks, as well as in the outbreaks we've had in California over the past few years, have been in people who are not vaccinated. There's a very small percentage of people who've had some vaccine, either one dose and in very rare cases, two doses, where they still develop measles. So there is a a very small likelihood of that happening. But overwhelmingly, it's people who are unvaccinated and then some people who are under vaccinated, meaning instead of having both both doses of the vaccine have had only
0: one. Talk a little bit about where we are now in California in terms of our kids. The numbers that that I've seen are that 95% of our kids are vaccinated currently. How accurate is that, and what does that really reflect?
1: Okay, so the numbers that we use to determine the percentage of children who are vaccinated, uh, fully vaccinated, by the way, um, are the the numbers that we get from schools who are mandated to report vaccination rates for all children entering schools. And so that's the source of the data. And it's, it has historically very, very good data. Although we do know that there are a few schools that have not been reporting and we're working hard with the California Department of Education to ensure that that reporting occurs. So what we know is that currently in the most current year, just over 95, so 95.1 percent of all children entering school are fully vaccinated, and this is this is excellent. This is a, a an increase of just of over two percent since SB 277 uh, passed a couple of years ago, and that is, as you pointed out, that was the legislation that. Um, disallowed any kind of exemption except a medical exemption.
0: We've seen, though, this move lately, almost tripling the request for medical exemptions. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, so um, there are uh, the medical exemption rate when the personal belief exemption that basically allowed you to be exempted just by saying, I don't believe in this. um, When we switched to medical exemptions, the personal belief exemption rate dropped dramatically and overwhelmingly those individuals became vaccinated. But we also saw an increase from um, at baseline, so before there was any change, 0.2%, so two-tenths of 1% of children, then the baseline we use is 2013-14, and it was pretty steady, um, did have medical exemptions even before personal belief exemptions were, were um, disallowed. And what has happened since then is that the rate of personal belief exemptions has increased to Mm 0.7%. So it's been an increase of half a percent. And while that sounds like a a small number, um, it is the concern that we have is that those unvaccinated children are not evenly distributed across the state. So, and what that means is that if if that small number of children were, you know, sort of evenly distributed, then they really wouldn't pose much risk because they'd be surrounded by fully vaccinated children. That's not what happens. What happens is that the unvaccinated children tend to cluster in communities. And in particular, they cu- cluster in schools. And because the, that excess, that increase in, in medical exemption rates um, Likely, and most likely, reflects people who have a belief system that doesn't support vaccination.
0: And where in the state are we seeing these clusters or regional pockets of non-vaccination?
1: Well, they're in um, various counties throughout the state. and um, it, and even in sometimes in subparts of, of those counties. On our website, shopsforkids.org, you can actually find vaccination rates for um, every school in California. So if people are are interested in knowing how uh, well vaccinated the school their children attend is, they can absolutely find that.
0: What's been going on with respect to these medical exemptions? And what we're finding there, it seems, is clusters of doctors that are really providing these exemptions. That that it's not spread out. That there are specific doctors that seem to be uh, available, as it were, to provide these exemptions.
1: Well, that that is anecdotally what we're hearing. Um, the what we do know is that there are there are children uh, entering school have legitimate uh, medical exemptions to vaccinations. Just to be clear, that's that point two percent that always were. The increase. Um, we, we also believe, likely reflects uh, people who's, uh, who just don't believe that vaccinations are the right thing to do and we re- recognize that physicians are often reflective of the communities that they live in. They're people too. And the other, the other thing about physicians is that, and this is especially true of primary care doctors, they don't um, like to be in conflict with their patients. That said, we, we suspect, and we, we are actually in the process of reviewing data right now, we suspect that there are some physicians who either themselves don't acknowledge the value of vaccine and, and likely maybe a very small number of physicians who may actually have a financial incentive for providing medical exemptions. But I, I want to stress that we don't have evidence of that at this point.
0: Wasn't there a doctor in Orange County that the med- the state medical association went after for, for doing this?
1: Yeah. So the Medical Board of California is the entity in California that regulates physician practice. And um, yes, there was a physician in, in Orange County who lost his life. Um, actually, he was I should, I should not speak on behalf of the Medical Board of California. I would recommend it, but I know they, they did take some enforcement action against a particular physician in Orange County. That's all really the detail that I have.
0: Talk a little bit about what the state role is in all of this, what your, you and your department continue to monitor with respect to all of this.
1: Our, in the California Department of Public Health, our overall mission is to protect the health of Californians, and we run the California uh, Immunization Program, and there are a lot of um, aspects to that program. Overwhelmingly, what we do is we educate the public and physicians, the, the professional clinical community, about vaccinations. There are many vaccinations be- beyond the ones that we talk about with respect to young children entering school. For example, the pneumonia vaccine and, and many others, the adult vaccinations. The, um, one of the most important things that we do though is monitor vaccination rates for kids entering school. We work with schools and we work with communities provide a lot of education about what's required, how to get vaccines. We provide vaccines partially funded by the state and partially funded by the federal government for people who don't have financial resources to um, access vaccines. The schools in California, as I said earlier, are required to report the rate of vaccination amongst the children entering school. And so what we, we maintain, we do an analysis of that data. And currently what we're doing, we're in the process right now of looking at last year's data school by school. And there are many, many schools in California. What we're looking for at this point is, well, one thing we do is we display all that information. Um, the Shots for, Shots for Kids is the website where you can, you can find all of that information. What we're doing at the moment is looking at schools that have high rates of medical exemptions that, at first look, appear not to have um, very biological probability, which is, I say, unlikely that there are that many kids with legitimate medical conditions that would be contraindications to vaccine. As we identify those, what we will do is request copies of the, of the exemptions in that school where all of the personal information about the children is redacted, so we do not see any information about the kids. What we do see is the physician's attestation of the medical exemption, so we, we look at the physicians. We're also looking, then, for patterns of physician um, issuance of medical exemptions. This, now, again, it is not our job to um, regulate the practice of medicine. So what we do is if we identify um, a physician which it appears that they're, uh, they're issuing more exemptions than would be likely to be the case, um, we will make the Medical Board of California aware of that. So there's two criteria. One is, is it, does it look like it's just more than you would expect to see in one physician practice area? The other issue is, are those children geographically clustered and therefore creating a risk for an explosive epidemic? Because our job is to protect the public's health. And so what we are looking at ex- explicitly is not physicians but rather is there a risk to the public of a rapidly moving outbreak, whether it's of measles or pertussis or some other vaccine-preventable disease that is uh, part of what's required for school entry. So if we do find that there appears to be a physician or or two that are are issuing more than would be expected and at the same time that's contributing to what we see as a risk to the community, we would refer that to the medical board. And the medical board is empowered to um, investigate and be sure that, um, you know, make some determination of whether what's going on is is, um, consistent with standard of care or not.
0: What is generally the grounds for these medical exemptions? Is it allergy to the shots themselves? What what constitutes the, the medical exemption generally?
1: So, legitimate medical exemptions, you can actually find them on every vaccine information sheet because we want to be very clear that um, there are people who have had allergic react, previously had allergic reactions to a vaccine, that would be a, um, an exclusion criteria. There are people who may have be profoundly immunocompromised who have a, com- a, a, a contradiction to certain vaccines, live virus vaccines, for example. So there are actually very few contraindications. Some, there are some vaccines that contain components that people may be allergic to, so that would be another kind of um, contraindication. They're pretty well established, and the contraindications to vaccines are usually set by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta.
0: And to what extent is the CDC and the federal government involved in monitoring all of this and, and looking at what the states are doing?
1: Well, the CDC provides national data on immunization rates for children. And so their, their role is to both. Um, they also um, associated with, uh, the CDC is associated also with, the, there's a national advisory board on vaccines that, um, determines which vaccines should be used, at what schedule, et cetera. And it's a convening, a large convening of, of the, the most preeminent scientists in the United States um, with expertise both in the vaccine preventable diseases, but also vaccine technology and medical practice. And so there is a um, they meet regularly to review the current recommendations for vaccines across the population and set out schedules that say, um, this vaccine is recommended for this group of people at this frequency, et cetera. The CDC provides um, support for that, that process as well as often having members who are on it. The CDC basically oversees the the practice of public health from from the perspective of providing uh, scientific expertise. And in some cases, the CDC also actually has regulatory power, particularly um, on issues that are interstate. Um, Within a state, it's usually the state government that has the authority as far as laws go. Um,
0: There is, as as has been reported, a lot of misinformation out there about vaccines. There was just a story uh, a day or so ago about Facebook even getting involved in trying to counter some of this misinformation. Talk a little bit about what your office is engaged in in this regard in terms of countering some of the misinformation about vaccines that's out there.
1: Well, we're we're doing a lot of things like talking to you. That's actually one of the most important things that we do. We try to make sure that our colleagues in the media are clear on what's true and what's not true as far as the scientific basis of vaccines. We also have a a social media presence and we um, put out a lot of fact sheets. We work very closely with, with our local health officers and local public health departments to provide them with the information that they need to send out on what is accurate about um, vaccines. What's the science? As well as what's the science about risks from communicable diseases, because there is a perception among some parts of the community that diseases like measles are no big deal, but they can be very severe. And um, so we wanna be sure that people understand. Um, what science can tell you both about these diseases and their risks, as well as vaccines. We do a lot of, of putting out of fact sheets and that kind of thing. We, we set what we like to say is public health tries to bring the science to the conversation.
0: There's been a lot of talk, obviously, about measles of late. What are some of the other concerns with respect to some of these communicable diseases and vaccines right now? What are the diseases should we, we be looking towards in terms of vaccinations?
1: Well, so the other disease of great concern right now is pertussis or whooping cough. Pertussis is a very severe disease. That is one of the diseases that's preventable by the vaccines for, for children who are entering school. And the thing about pertussis is, is that it is ex- especially dangerous to infants because you can't, vac- a, an infant cannot mount a response to a vaccine and be protected. And pertussis lingers in people without necessarily causing disease, and it can cause a very mild upper respiratory infection in children, which looks like it's no big deal. When those children go home and are in contact with an infant, that infant can get pertussis and they will die. They may well die. At the very least, they're going to end up hospitalized and sometimes for very prolonged periods of time. Also, if the mom becomes infected with pertussis while she's pregnant and gives birth to the baby, that baby's at very high risk of developing pertussis as well. And also grandparents. So there are people who, um, interestingly enough, older people often carry pertussis if they've had um, a case of it, even without recognizing that they thought maybe they just had a bad cold or the flu, and they can spread pertussis to infants as well. And so our concern is children are usually the, because of the way children play together, they spend many, many hours together. Um, these kinds of bacteria and viruses spread very easily from child to child. Those children can then take these these diseases home. The other, the other common uh, disease that we see that can be in outbreaks um, is mumps. That's, so the measles vaccine can, contains, um, vaccine, or uh, antigens against measles, mumps, and rubella. Rubella is what many people think of as German measles, which can be very severe, particularly for, for newborn infants and women who uh, contract rubella during pregnancy. So those are some of the, the, the outbreaks that we've seen. We're, so pertussis tends to cause outbreaks in waves um, in communities, and we are uh, somewhat overdue for an outbreak. And so we're, be, we're really cautious right now. I'm trying to make sure that everybody who um, needs a pertussis booster should get it. Unlike measles, um, with pertussis, it's recommended that you get a booster shot every 10 years or so. Because, and that's especially important for adults who are going to be in contact with an unvaccinated infant because it does stay in the environment uh, with people, in people, in the environment. Mm.
0: When SB 277 passed back in 2015, it certainly was controversial, and there was a huge amount of debate about it. Are you aware of any legislation floating around Sacramento now addressing either side or any aspect of this issue of exemptions with respect to vaccinations? I
1: know that there are legislators who are interested in addressing the issue of potentially uh, non-scientifically valid medical exemptions, but we don't get engaged in those conversations unless there is a a specific legislator asks for our technical
0: assistance. To what extent do you think that the 95% we're at now is going to remain constant, or do you see that moving in either direction in the next couple of years?
1: Well, we sincerely hope it'll improve. We'd like to see the rates get higher. I mean, we shoot for 98%. Um, and so I think that one of the really interesting things about the situation that we find ourselves in with a, a very, very vocal minority of, of people who are against vaccination, um, I think what, one of the things that occurred um, at, during the whole entire conversation around SB 277, and given the very uh, outsized Um, social media presence of the anti-vaccination movement is that the vast majority of people who are not against vaccinations have learned through this conversation that there is, that unvaccinated people actually present a risk to them and their families. And that is actually, I think that's a good thing. I think people have, because there has been The the anti-vaccination, non-science-based belief system, we've done a lot of work, we and others, um, and the entire scientific community to push back on that and give people good information. And I think that what that's done is provide people who were not really aware of this, you know, hadn't thought about it a lot, the recognition that um, you have the science to make a decision and that people who who choose not to be vaccinated can present a risk to you. And so the voices of that very large, silent, basic majority that basically really hadn't been paying much attention um, are now uh, fighting back, if you will.
0: Sort of an unintended consequence of the anti-vaccine movement. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. California State Public Health Director Dr. Karen Smith, I thank you so much for spending time with us. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Local Voices, Local Conversation, NapaBroadcasting.com.